Good evening, everybody. This is the Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Cam Davin, and this is the first episode. Big news coming out from the Premier League today. We have a Premier League champion, and they are Liverpool. Liverpool. The people from Merseyside in Liverpool, England, finally get a Premier League championship after the tremendous run that was held by quarantine and this deadly virus. We will talk about also the NHL and a little bit of some football, but I want to bring on my first guest today. He's a good friend of mine. He also has a YouTube channel called The Puck Drops here, an avid hockey fan of the New Jersey Devils, Vancouver Canucks, and the Detroit Red Wings. He is Peter of High Foot. Peter, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you for allowing me to be the first guest on this wonderful podcast. I appreciate it. So, Peter, I know you're a big NFL fan. You love the Texans, which is pretty odd for a kid from New Jersey, or I should say an adult from New Jersey. Well, my first team is the Giants, but... That's good. I mean, just like me, I'm a Giants fan. We both know we don't like the Cowboys or the Eagles or the Redskins. Uh, Especially, we like the teams, the Jets fans, for... uh, being not so good the past few years, but yeah. we're not so good ourselves, but we're, looks like we're going to be better in the coming future. Also, I know you're a big Manchester United football club fan, as well as myself, the Red Devils. Uh, they've been sort of mixing it in the past few years with Sarah Ferguson retiring in the beginning of the decade or I should say the 2010s, and then something drastically just fell apart and we haven't been able to fix it. The league has been overtaken by Manchester City, the Citizens, as they are called, the rival of the Red Devils, and also a team from Liverpool, England, that has just won the Premier League for the first time. The champions of World Club of the FIFA Club World Cup, the champions of Europe, and now the champions of England in the top flight. What are your thoughts on Liverpool's, I could say, drastic, but spontaneous run before COVID-19 hit? And also, they were undefeated until they lost 3-0 against Watford. But with them on the horizon becoming the big the big club that they are how how you think Liverpool fans feel right now they feel relieved and they feel like they may even be witnessing a dynasty and just an unbelievable team that finally finally won it all after a 30 year wait and the reason why it happened in my opinion Campbell is because a few years ago, well, not exactly a few, but the Liverpool FC club was able to take a 17-year-old kid from Egypt named Mohamed Saleh, or Salah, that's how you pronounce it, and he was a game-breaker, he created all these plays, he got better defensively, he was fast, he could shoot the ball, everything that you need to win the Premier League. But what I think happened is Salah didn't have that great of a year this year, but everyone else clicked. They were able to build a team around him and 
anyone could do their job and be able to defensively play. They have good goalkeeping and score goals when necessary. Score timely goals against great teams like Manchester City, who were the defending champions, and Chelsea, as well as our Manchester United squad. And because of the team was so balanced and because they clicked so much, that created their run and of a team that had always had so much hype, finally, to be able to win a championship after a 30-year wait. Yeah, just like you said, Mohamed Salah, he came from Chelsea and then went to Liverpool, I believe, on a loan at least three years ago. That's when the man, the myth himself, Jurgen Klopp, left Borussia Dortmund after ultimately losing the Champions League final against a rival team in Bayern Munich and just built this team from the ground up. You got you had Virgil van Dijk come from Celtic, a great Dutch defender, Allison, a great goalkeeper, Sadio Mane, Arnaldum, uh, I believe Alexand- Trent Alexander Arnold, great wing. I mean, you have all these guys, James Milner, Jordan Henderson. Uh, they had they tasted blood in the water the past three years between losing to Real Madrid in the 2018 Champions League final, then ultimately beating rival Tottenham in 2019 and not winning the Premier League that year, and then ultimately going on this massive run where they haven't lost in forever, and then during the Champions League group stage, they ultimately got knocked out by Atletico Madrid, who is in La Liga. When we know what La Liga is, Valencia, Real Madrid, Atletico, Barcelona, Sevilla, all those predominantly powerful Spanish football clubs over in Europe. But to take off a bit on the Premier League side, you look at our Red Devils of Manchester United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as the as the boss. You have David De Gea as our goalkeeper. You have young guys, Daniel James, Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, uh, uh, one of the, I should say, the captain, but different, a uh, great defender, Paul Pogba, Anthony Martial, Jesse Lingard, Marcus Rashford. What do you, how do you think it, it's going to take these guys or should the hierarchy be willing to make some moves to help build back or restore the dominant club that is Manchester United to win the Premier League and also we go far in competitions in Europe and all over the country? It's not the players in Manchester United. We've got some really great players, young, older. Although I would like to see some leadership, some older leaders for Manchester United who could get in transfers. But really it starts from the the organization, just upheaval of the leaders in coaching and management. We haven't had that since Sir Alex Ferguson. You haven't had, I know we talked about this off air multiple times, the fear that he put in other opponents' eyes when he would step on the pitch. 
you don't have the coaching, you don't have the ownership, you don't have the management on a team that is one of the greatest organizations in all of sports, the way it's revered and the way it's looked at, which just changed sports marketing in general at Manchester United, and they're not winning, they don't have the organizational management for that, you got to get a coach, you got to get an owner, you got to get a, a, not necessarily general manager, since that's not how European soccer doesn't necessarily have one, but you have to have an organization and more management that is, it bleeds success, it speaks success, and it just shows the aura of, we're not going to be beat today, not today, not ever. And if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to drag our limping carcass with us. You need that organization. I totally agree with you on that one. And it's been a long time since Manchester United as a club and as a whole has been at that point. And if anyone does not know in England... Fergie time, as in stoppage time in Manchester, where anything could happen in Stratford End. And when Manchester United scores a goal in Stratford End, those hardcore fans go absolutely ballistic back then. They've been going crazy all those years. And it just seems downwards that this team hasn't been where it's at. I mean, they named a stand, Sir Alex Ferguson stand after the man because the guy literally brought this team that was great for back when Sir Bobby Charlton, Georgie Best in the 70s. You think of the song, Take Me Home United Road to the place where I belong. That song, in those lyrics, you have those players and it's mentioned throughout the history of the team. And with no Fergie, and you have all these young kids who played in the program in, when they were younger, and they go off separately to other places. You try to bring everybody back, and you can't because all these famous footballers, as they're called, I don't want to be... I don't want to say that other word because I had to mention it properly. But these footballers, they want to win somewhere else. They want to win in Spain. They want to win in Portugal. They want to win in Italy. They, If they want to come to the U.S. and play in the U.S., see how that game is. So it's also, really yeah. And also you look at the whole fact of if you have a better organization, these players that they have these young players like Rashford Rashford's a guy that should be like number one in not number one but top five in in England and one of those top players in Europe that you look at because his skill is bar none he's a young player he's got speed he can shoot the ball at all types of angles with pretty big velocity and he's a great defensive player and he just hasn't played that well in Manchester United because of the way their system plays with a more attacking system and a more aggressive, fearless type play, I think Rashford could, Rashford could absolutely rise to the ranks of the best players on the planet. Exactly. I mean, you look at Rashford, Lingard, they were both on the English national team. They're right. in World Cups and Euros. Both these 
guys played in the youth system. They played in the program. They looked up to idols like Wayne Rooney. They looked up to Dimitar Berbatov, Cristiano Ronaldo. They looked up to Reno Ferdinand. They looked up to Evan Van der Sar. They looked up to all these guys back in when they won the Champions League in 2008. And they grew up learning about the 1999 treble team when they won every tro- every major trophy. The man who scored the game-winning goal against Bayern Munich in the Champions League final is the boss. And Oli, Oli's on the wheel, as they say in Manchester. They need to figure it out. And I want to brush off and stick to another topic here with the Premier League. And I need to talk about what I saw today. Mm. That is probably one of the most downright greatest last 30 plus minutes of match play I've ever seen between Chelsea and the now former Premier League champion Manchester City. But Peter, I want to get your thought on this. Christian Pulisic scores the first goal, scores it, tucks it behind Edison, the goalkeeper for Manchester. One nothing. One nothing. Then Kevin De Bruyne, the the Belgian forward, great great forward, two way great player, very scary player indeed. You don't want to go one on one with him because he'll make you pay in the attacking line and the midfield line. He he tucks a free kick goal past. Kepa, the goalkeeper for Chelsea, that dipped into the bottom left corner. But now this is where it gets fun. The last, I would say, 20 minutes of that match, Christian Pulisic goes one with Ederson. Beats Ederson. Literally takes a nice swipe of the ball with his right foot. Looks like it's going to go in. Chelsea goes up 2-1, right? Everyone's going to celebrate from Liverpool. Nope. Kyle Walker comes sliding in, crossing over the line. And then, next thing you know, everyone's like all chaotic and stuff, and then the ball comes out. I want to get your thought on what that play meant, and then I'll talk about another play in that same match that ultimately led to the game-deciding goal. Uh, just so I understand, so I, I don't jump the pooch here. Are 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 we at the area where they had six shots on goal, and it eventually led to the where be earlier before that? It's probably probably five minutes before the okay. Penalty kick goal. I believe I did see that play, and what it was was Chelsea was trying to gain an advantage, but once. Mid-City had tied it, and you saw this last year with Manchester City, and you saw this a lot with Manchester City this year, and with uh, Liverpool, obviously, this year, where when they tied a, a team that was playing better than them, the team that was outplaying Man City or Liverpool would be... They would completely lose their confidence. Yes. And I think I saw Chelsea lose their confidence for a little bit because Man City was not playing great, but they had some flurries of chances. And when they were able to bury theirs, 
Chelsea lost their game plan. They stopped playing out of their game plan. But they went off the transfer, the American transfer in Pulcic. And when Pulcic was able to make that play and try to bury the ball, it was a good opportunity for uh, Chelsea. And it, it was decent. But obviously then Man City gains on the attack. And what I think benefited Chelsea, though, was not necessarily their opportunities on goal, but later in the game, their opportunities of not allowing Man City to go in. And it looked like they were retreating, but what they were doing was they were playing exceptional defense by uh, blocking a lot of shots, which you don't see that much in soccer, but blocking a lot of shots, or football, excuse me, blocking a lot and getting the ball out and playing an efficient side where they could control the amount of chances. Maybe they weren't having the ball and controlling the ball as much, but the chances by Man City were limited. So if there was an opportunity for Chelsea to gain a better opportunity chance, they would have it. Just being more efficient with the ball and without the ball, especially on defense, helped Chelsea, and they started doing that after that chance. Yeah, and then I just, as I told you before, five six minutes later, another chaotic scene occurred in in the goal out of Manchester City. I I forget who it was, but was it Lear, uh or had to be Pedro or Pul- Pulisic? I think Pulisic um, started, and then Pedro had a few shots on that. Yes, and then. Five minutes later, Fernandinho was in the goal line. He kind of goes like this with his hand, and it's deliberate, and they go to VAR. Ultimate decision is a handball penalty awarded to Chelsea. Fernandinho is sent off with a regarded straight red from the official and William, the Brazilian wing, without a doubt, one of the more, more impressive wings in all of the Premier League forwards, just tucks it home with a slight hesitation, makes Ericsson go one way, the other way. And it's funny because there's a video of a group of Liverpool players watching the game, and they all, they're all going excited. And it's going to be Bedlam in, in Liverpool as soon as that final whistle blew. And ultimately, Chelsea hung on. And let's not forget what Chelsea did almost four years ago. They came back to tie Tottenham. They drew against Tottenham. And they ultimately let the unthinkable happen. Leicester City win the league. And when Leicester City won the league, it felt like the true Cinderella story at that time. So Chelsea did another thing. And I I was laughed at one of the commentators what they said. Let's have the let's have the Premier League decided here at Sanford Bridge, a four year difference, which is a pretty fun funny joke to say. But the shift off of that it's basically done. I mean, the Premier League, there's nothing to play for except for top four, go to Champions League, and then 
the five and six place teams go to the Europa League. And you look at Man United, they're six spots behind the fourth place. They're hanging by the thread with that fifth place finish. And you look at behind them, I believe it's Sheffield United, the Blades themselves, and Wolverhampton Wanderers, known as Wolves. And I'm a big fan of Wolves because they have that mentality to be very, very good in the future. And their manager, I, I, I forget his name, I apologize, but they are just very structured well and they have that great energy to be very good in the coming future. To brush I want to back up okay. what you said about the, the the goal that won it because there was something else that a lot of people are going to overlook that I noticed when I was watching the game today. If you watch Man City, Man City did a lot of pulling up and trying to cross and then play for a goal and shoot. And when they were doing that, as Chelsea got more confident defensively, as I was saying, they're blocking shots. Now, on this particular play, Manchester City brings the ball up and they try shooting and it gets blocked again. But instead of running away with the ball, Chelsea, uh, quote-unquote, parks the bus and they continue to just let Man City work, let Man City get frustrated. And on this play, uh, a Manchester forward tries to pass this ball onto the side where they can try to get a pass in front and shoot again but it gets intercepted and it's a lousy pass and I have the thought that Chelsea will just shoot this in or kind of just play for possession but now they feel it's their chance it's them just sitting back defensively but waiting for an opening waiting for an opening and then they go they have a potential three on two which you barely ever see in European football but they get the three on two they have the opportunity by Pulchic who was the absolute extraordinaire by setting up goals and scoring goals all season long. He sets it up. We obviously had the three, four, couple shots, almost went in the goal, and then they look at it again, goes off the hand. I'm not sure if I would have called that at that opportunity, but they call it, and then the penalty shot tricked the keeper and got the game-winning goal, the, the championship-winning goal for another team. I really think that defensive philosophy... Uh, I remember watching this and thinking, what, what's with the parking the bus? Why are we just defensively sitting back? Chelsea really wants this. I don't understand the, the whole idea of it. And the moment that pass was lousy and you got the chances on goal, chance on goal three, four times, you clearly saw that the defensive sitting back was not, it was not no white flag of surrender. It was a complete strategy to get a goal potentially at some point past Manchester City and it worked in spades. So you think Pep Guardiola felt as taking it back to not want to get that tying or winning goal for Manchester City as to oppose just like thinking that crossing or trying to get that equalizing goal knowing that Frank Lampard, the boss for Chelsea, was like, just let's play the possession game. Don't let them force turnovers on us and have to play on our own end for the last 15 minutes. Well, his thing to me was more 
we're uh, we are going to have this option in our strategy where we will take far less chances and far less possessions and far less scoring opportunities if our chances possessions and scoring opportunities are the deadliest and most accurate possible we'll have two to three scoring chances in this second half only if we're going to get their goal goalkeeper making incredible saves and it almost going in goal scored or hitting the post several times we don't want to just sit there and pepper because later in the game after it was 2-1, Man City just tried to keep the ball down. And there was another uh, another chance where I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I remember where Man City had the, the ball going great and they had a real chance on goal. And they went to their goal scorer and it went off his leg and it was offside. And I was thinking... And I think a lot of Manchester City supporters and the organization was thinking, okay, so Chelsea is going to try to bring the ball up and they'll turn it over. And Man City is going to get another opportunity to score a goal, just pepper the goalkeeper. But Chelsea did a fantastic job. This is around the 83rd minute, 84th minute. And they played a lot of defensive possession. And the fact was... We're going to let our, the best opportunity we can to score a goal. Once we score a goal, we're not going to let them touch the ball. And it was a fantastic strategy. So let's set aside Premier League and soccer. Let's talk about the NFL. Let's talk about the Giants. Let's talk about your Texans. Yeah. But I want let's branch off of the New York football Giants. The four-time Super Bowl champion, New York Football Giants. Because as well, I have to say that because we all know where we live around. You got Cowboys fans around here, Eagles fans, and a lot of fun banter. But so let's talk about the Giants. Head coach Joe Judge. We are going to be running, or I should say, the Giants are going to be running similar. Dallas Cowboy offense with offensive right. coordinator, former Dallas Cowboys quarterback, and former Dallas Cowboys head football coach, Jason Garrett. And yeah. then we have a whole new defensive scheme. And I'm pretty confident about the Giants, but there's many people saying, oh, the Giants are going to surprise everybody. This and that, they're gonna go to the wild card. No, gonna win the division. I would, I would wait at least a year or two to build our defense and offensive line more often. What do you think on this? Because it's Daniel Jones's second year. It's gonna be his first full season at the helm as a true quarter, starting quarterback. We have Saquon Barkley in the backfield. We're going to have probably Nate Solder at a right tackle position instead of protecting the blind spot and having fourth overall pick Andrew Thomas from the University of Georgia become that left guard position, I should say. And then 
We have Xavier McKinney on defense, Cam Bryant on defense. We're going to have Blake Martinez, a outstanding linebacker, previously from the Green Bay Packers. That twosome duo with Clay Matthews was very ferocious in the NFC North. So, how do you think the Giants are going to look this year with all this noise talking about the Cowboys, the Eagles, and the Redskins? Because it's like this division is like you want to win it the least as a as a friend of ours said on a show before. The Giants are not going to win the division. They are not going to go to the playoffs. But, boy, this team is in probably the best opportunities for this team organization. They're in a great spot. They're not going to contend for the playoffs, but I think it's kind of a bad decision if they do. And I'm not a fake fan for saying they shouldn't win a championship. Yes, you want to win the championship every year. I want to win the Super Bowl this year. I really, really do. I can't wait for red, white, and blue and parades down New York City and the Canyon of Heroes and the Super Bowl trophy, Lombardi trophy. But this is not a time to try to go for championship where if you win the division, which would probably be the only way they can get into the playoffs, you would have a home game against a team like New Orleans or Tampa Bay or Green Bay or one of these good good football teams that you probably would not be able to win anyway and then you just wasted your season for one extra game that meant nothing the Giants have a really good offensive line everybody's raving about it though I think it's good I think it needs to get better well it here's, here's better, my argument will. on this here's my argument is, um, and I apologize for interrupting you no, but when Eli Manning played all those years, 16 years an Ironman in the league with over 200 plus starts his offensive line was atrocious right god awful it was it was just bad and luckily he he I mean Eli Manning you could say what he wants we could talk about this discussion about Hall of Fame another time he's a class act quarterback we could talk about the re- we could talk about re- records another day. The guy beat Tom Brady twice. He won in Super Bowl MVP twice. The guy is a great humanitarian. He comes from a football family. He's going to be in the Super. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame in a couple of years. We all know he's going to help enshrine his brother next year because Payne's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But to get back on the Giants' point, Dave Gettleman, as much as everyone says this and that about him and the anxiety he gets from all these hardcore Giant fans, I think he did a not in not a great job, not an okay job, but a good average job, like in the middle drafting. Right. Oh, he did a no, I don't think he did a good job drafting. I think he did a great job drafting. I love this draft. But as I'm saying, the offensive linemen are going to have to get better. He's going to have to work on it next year. But I'm not bashing the offensive linemen as well. The only reason I put a constraint on the offensive line is because I think he did 
an amazing job somewhere else, which is what I've been asking for since last year's draft, even though I agreed with the Daniel Jones pick. Linebackers, and boy, did he fix up our linebackers. I believe the Giants had the 31st, not not the worst. I believe that might have been uh, Cincinnati because they were worst in every area. But I believe the Giants had the 31st uh uh, run, run, run defense, excuse me, run defense in the National Football League. I believe they had the 37th, the 37th, the 27th uh, pass defense in the National Football League. Their, their defense was atrocious. And the real issue was linebacker because they had a few good corners and a few good defensive linemen. And boy, they got some good free agent linebackers. Martinez, who you said played in Green Bay with Clay Matthews. I believe he also played in Cincinnati. He, he's, a, he's a veteran, understands how, how to play of a guy that was a rookie a few years ago and he's come back, understand, you get some uh, linebackers in the second and third round, you get linebackers in the sixth round, and, and the Giants are one of those teams that are very good at making guys that dra- are drafted late, late, late in the free in the draft that are defensive players into stars. And they, and they did not mess up with this draft. Did a really nice job with linebackers. They're going to be a much better defensive team. I don't think the Giants will make the playoffs, but if the Giants keep on doing this and getting more weapons for Daniel Jones, in a few years, the Giants are going to be one of the teams uh, to beat in the NFC. Like, they're going to be Super Bowl contenders in a few years. Wait, yeah. this team is on the right track. I, I love what the Giants are doing, and I think if they miss the playoffs and – get a, another opportunity for a big pick and they also have a lot of cap space and a lot of money to use and they get the right guys they should be fun I gotta tell you even though I don't think they're gonna be any better than seven and nine or eight and eight Joe Judge is gonna have a lot of fun with this team he's I, I don't know him personally obviously I don't know how he's done coaching in the in the past but this is probably going to be the years that He'll say, in my opinion, this was 2020 was one of my favorite times coaching because this team's going to be fun. That's and the word that comes to me. Like you said, it Joe Judge, he coached at Alabama, he coached at mm. New England with the Patriots. He has the saving and Belichick mentality that makes you want to run through a wall, a yeah. brick wall, in fact, or a stone wall. Like cobblestone and grab a sledgehammer and hit it repeatedly. This guy is going to bring the energy and confidence back into these New York football Giants fans. And the media is going to love it in the future when the Giants are going to get it right. Management is going to get get it right. And they're going to be winning and winning. And God bless the Marriott family. The Marriott family is one of the most highly respected people. Highly respected families in football. And like Eli said, once a giant, always a giant. But for Jamie Jones' case, it's going to be only a giant because this kid from Duke is literally Eli Manning 2.0. He's Eli with wheels. He's got a great arm. He's got great athleticism. And he's going to be a giant forever. And in, in Duke, his head coach was also. Uh, someone who worked heavily with Eli Manning yes. and bought some of those mental and physical traits that uh, Daniel Jones does have. Yeah. So now from talking about 
our New York football giants. Let's talk about a team that Peter loves oh, and that I'm, I'm giving an old guy. I, I'm a huge so many I'm a huge Sean Watson fan. I've loved him ever since he he beat Alabama in the national championship. Gets Clemson, even though Clemson did be my Buckeyes, and uh, I I didn't like that too much, but that's for another day. But the Houston Texans, led by Bill O'Brien, the former Penn State head coach, the NFC South representatives with the runner-up of the AFC, excuse me, the Tennessee Titans, the Indianapolis Colts, and two years ago, the runners-up of the AFC Conference Championship game, the Jacksonville Jaguars. What is so wrong with this division? This team this- is so... Yeah, but the, the, the Texans aren't winning the division, and that's my second favorite team. Houston it, it isn't going to do anything. They, I am so annoyed at this team this year. They it's- have so many issues. It, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but... It's just been a debacle. You look at the Titans. Great run by them last year. And I almost felt like they should have beat the Chiefs. But you know, you shouldn't beat the Chiefs. And they didn't. You're, you're Houston Texans. They were up 24 I, nothing, And here comes Showtime. Patty Mahomes. The MVP. The cover boy for Man 20. The gunslinger from Texas and He made me throw up. Literally. Arrowhead came off through its roof, and it doesn't have a roof. And it's the largest place in all of America. 106.58 decibels. Screaming down on you. Hold on. free. I felt so bad for Deshaun. It was a tough, tough environment. You look at the Houston Texans now. I love J.J. Watt. He's a class act guy. Great defensive player. But man, do I hate to see when he gets hurt every year. It, it kills me. Like, it kills me to see that guy sacrifice day in and day out his body for his team, his family, the city of Houston. What that city's been going on, going through the past few years in another sport. And of course, the, the hurricane which is so upsetting. But, I mean, the guy just can't stop getting injured, and I feel bad for that. And then now you have Phil O'Brien, the head coach and GM of the Houston Texans. You trade your best your best wide receiver. Not even the, not even the best. best the best wide receiver. Best player. The, be, the Their best player, second going to Sean Watson. The best hands-on receiver in football in Nuke, as in D-Hop, as in DeAndre Hopkins, the guy with the red gloves. I mean, you trade your number one guy, second coming to your quarterback, to Arizona. The clutch catches he's made to win games and touchdowns. Uh, Houston probably has missed the playoffs the last six years if he doesn't make some of those incredible cu- catches for touchdowns. He's done so much. Uh, you said before, I just want to go on like uh, a little synopsis on the AFC South since I watch uh, Houston a lot. Um, here's the thing. 
you said that you're kind of perplexed on what happens in that division. I'm not. I know who's winning that division. And it's not Houston. It's clearly Indianapolis. They're the class of the AFC South. They're one of the best teams in the NFL, in my opinion. They're loaded. They're ready for a run. I think this year, I predict they go to the AFC Championship game. But I I don't know what's going on with Houston. Oh, wait. I do know. An offensive line that's non-existent, not coached well. The Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson have been the most sacked quarterback and team since he came into the league. As good as he's been, you can't escape everyone, and it's not his running style. He's a prolific quarterback. You want to say the way he plays? Well, Patrick Mahomes played the way he plays, and he's got a fine offensive line. The management in the organization of Houston, it's not working. I like the idea they picked up David Johnson. I think he's a better running back than people are really observing. But to trade, and I was happy when they got David Johnson. I said, we get David Johnson and these other players. I was really happy. But when it sunk in that DeAndre Hopkins wouldn't have got there and the top receiver you're throwing to is a good but inconsistent Will Fuller, it, it, it shook me. And a few of my friends off air have really bashed uh, Bill O'Brien. And I really didn't get on him because I gave him some time. But the time's up. He's not getting it done for this football team. And Houston has a lot of problems and not a lot of time to solve them. Yeah, just like you said, I mean, the Colts, they are the cost bearer of the AFC South division with now Philip Rivers the signal caller for the Indianapolis Colts after spending his whole career with the formerly San Diego Chargers Los Angeles Chargers the they drafted a good backup too he actually did and Indianapolis he's awesome yep and also, a sleeper of a second-round pick. And, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't follow his YouTube channel, he is, without a doubt, one of the most humble people I've seen on camera. And you watch his highlights from high school and you watch his highlights from USC in the Pac-12. Michael Penman Jr., the son of Michael Penman, the running back from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who I believe did win the Super Bowl with that Gruden team with John Lynch and Rondé Barber, that whole crew that went heck bent on the Oakland Raiders in that Super Bowl. But you look at Michael Pittman Jr., he's a great athlete. He can catch the ball and run. He can cut like no other receiver. And he is a big surprise for this. He's, uh, I'm sorry, Indianapolis offense. And now I want to look at the Tennessee Titans. And you look at the Titans, the king himself, we say that with good humor because there are multiple kings in different sports. Derrick Henry, the running back, the big running back, I should say, from Alabama. Great, great physical runner, hard nosed runner with Ryan Tannehill in the interesting call 
comeback player of the year, without a doubt. Great player. Taylor Wan, great tackle. But Mike Rabel, the head coach, the man, the myth from the Ohio State University, the former linebacker from the New England Patriots. And you look at that game last year, no one thought the Titans were going to beat the Patriots in the playoffs. The, the, the mind games are playing in that last five minutes of the fourth quarter, and they took those penalties, and you're saying to yourself, why are they doing this? Well, I guess they were killing time because they just want to chew the clock off for Brady to not have another Tom touchdown comeback. So I'll branch off from the Tennessee Titans now, and we'll look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that's, a Jaguars. that's a team Jacksonville and they've said it and you know what I respect them for it and I I had a friend who was drafted by Jacksonville anyway so I've had no issues with the Jaguars I don't really uh, hate them that much even though they're a divisional team but I'll say this about Jacksonville they've done this that I respect they've said okay we're not winning it uh, Bortles has been gone for some time but we drafted to be the franchise guy Nick Foles, we'll let him walk. We want to let our team be young, and we will trade everyone that's uh, too much of a prima donna, too much of a contract hog, to be better later on, almost like the Carolina Panthers are doing, where we can wait and we're going to rebuild from the ground down. And usually when teams do that, they become very good and more efficient and a better winning team than to try to win every year. So I like I, I like that the Jaguars will not be good this year, but I like how they're approaching it. Yeah, like you said, Gardner Minshew, the quarterback for the Jaguars, he is a, without a doubt, a high-riser, low-riser quarterback. Everyone remembers his big news out of coming from Washington State. He's big big quarterback himself he, he'll, he'll carry his team for a couple years and I, I'm, I'll be impressed with the Jaguars back in a couple years again I mean Leonard Fournette's still there and stuff and they'll look good in a couple years I, I'm, I'm not too a little fond of them right now but they had to get back to where they were before and in the coming years so now, I respect that they're doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about our favorite sport, hockey. Mm, so yes. with the NHL. And let's talk about a team that has been more, say, grateful. They are in a state where they, it's only one professional franchise that's actually New Jersey. Yeah. And we're glad it's only that team. And they are the guys in the red, black, and white jerseys. They play in the biggest city in our state that is New Jersey. In Newark, they play at a place named after a great firm, great company. The It's called the Burnett Center. We know it as The Rock. It's the New Jersey Devils. Peter... They were supposed to be good this year. All the wheels fell off. 
Uh, and then the draft flyers coming on Tuesday, on Friday, tomorrow, when this gets out. Uh, where where do you think the Devils lie in the draft lottery? In the de- the odds of the draft lottery with the Devils, in my opinion, as I've said numerously on an off-air and also on a, a radio show that we do for the station, have to do with three other events uh and the lotter and the draft lottery, like who they could pick in the draft, has to do with uh, the, the three other events on how the season has gone. A certain defenseman that they traded for, PK Subban, as well as a former Philadelphia Flyers and Los Angeles Kings forward that was traded later in the year that was spent five million dollars on earlier in Wayne Simmons. And all of these acquisitions and all of these options were meant for one opportunity, one opportunity only, as well as the Nikita Gusev trade. And what this was all located for, and it, it didn't necessarily work because Gusev will be a great player, but he's still pass first, as is the draft pick in Jack Hughes, was they tried to get a goal scorer. And Subban is not a goal scorer. Simmons is not a goal scorer. So with the draft... I would say ahead of a trade, the Devils in their rebuild, although it is good now that they've traded Taylor Hall and Goldman, some of these stars. As I get back to that point, I know a lot of Devils fans hated that Coleman left. I did hate it, but I understand the whole point of leave of letting guys that are big in your contract and stars so you can build around uh, some of your little guys. Uh, one of the big opportunities with the draft is the Devils go get a guy not that's going to set up the pass because they've got a few players there but but also a goal scorer you take someone like LaPierre uh, LaPierre Alexander LaPierre I believe in the draft who would be an absolute sniper and a guy that could fill the net so yeah, like you said, I mean, so about that, and I totally agree with you on getting, I believe you said Hendrix LaPierre of the QMJHL, and who also plays with Alexi Lafreniere of the opposing Ramuski Oceanics, that is going to be without a doubt the top prospect, is the top prospect. And he's going to be top draft pick in the NHL draft coming in a few months because of his COVID outbreak. And so I have big thoughts about Lachie Lafreniere. I know we talked about it in a few couple months and stuff. And this kid is just amazing. He is amazing on the ice. He does great things. He knows how to get through anywhere and stuff. And Lafreniere is going to be a great asset for any team and whoever picks him. And let's not talk about your Vancouver Canucks. Let's talk about the other team. Builder, the GM, the mastermind, Kenny Holland, announced in the Hall of Fame. The guy that the team that I said that will be picking the young man from the Ramushki 
Oceanics of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, Alexi Lafreniere. Let's talk about the guys from the Motor City, the Red and White, and let's talk about the people who wear the winged wheel in the multi Stanley Cup champion, one of America's beloved hockey franchises, the Detroit Red Wings. 11-time Stanley Cup champion Detroit Red Wings. And this is completely based on what happens in this franchise in the future. Is based on the first person when Kenny Holland got to, after he met Illich, uh, when he got to Detroit, the first person he wanted to have a special bond with and still does. And that's Steve Eisenman, the current general manager of the Detroit Red Wings. And... Well, first I'll say this about Kenny. I'm so happy that Holland got into the Hall of Fame. I didn't really think he was going to get in as a builder, but now he does. Current general manager of the Oilers, and obviously he's with the Red Wings for so long, all of the accomplishments, winning the four Stanley Cups, helping uh, Steve Eisenman get better as a player, also by getting one of the greatest, probably the greatest coaches of all time in Scott Bowman. Trading for Larry Murphy, trading for Brendan Shanahan, signing and drafting, of course, Henrik Zetterberg and Pavel Datsuk, getting Slava Kozlov, completely putting together that Russian Red Army line, uh, drafting Johan Franzen, and drafting uh, Tomas Holmstrom. All of the players you can go on and on and on. There are a multitude of Detroit Red Wings that still play for Detroit, such as Dylan Larkin and Valtteri Filipula that were drafted by Ken Holland. Now, to Detroit, this is a year where they have to get the first overall pick tomorrow, and they have to go take Lafreniere. They have to take Lafreniere. He would be a great asset, and he would be a wonderful pairing with Dylan Larkin. I would love to see Larkin and him. It almost reminds me if he would be there with Larkin, the connection Patrick Kane had in Chicago with Artemi Panarin, how they saw each other as fellow brethren of these like smaller scorers, and they just loved playing with each other, and they just had a, a little bit of a brotherhood. I could see that with Larkin and Lafreniere. And, uh, a little bit different of where they come from. Lafreniere obviously played for Team Canada last year in the juniors, was injured for a lot of it, but came back and played. Uh, played there and scored big goals. Always was in French Canada in that area in Quebec. Grew up a Montreal Canadiens fan. And then, of course, you have Dylan Larkin, who was born and raised across the river from Detroit in, I believe it was Windsor? No. Um, but otherwise in Michigan. And he was born and bred to root for the Red Wings, to cheer for the Red and White. I believe he was a, a kid when he started watching hockey, the 2007 and 2008 Stanley Cup uh, Stanley Cup playoff runs for the Detroit Red Wings. So there's different history there, but they're a very similar type player. And yes, as I conclude my entire rambling, I will say this, that the Detroit Red Wings need to get the first overall selection and need to select Lafreniere, although the pick last year, uh, Moritz Seider, has worked well. He played a little bit in Germany and jumped right to the AHL and has 
surprised his teammates positively as being one of the most mature and complete players right from Germany to be able to hop into the AHL and hopefully soon take that jump into the National Hockey League. Yeah, without a doubt. And um, thank you, Peter, for giving your thought about the Red Wings. And uh, again, thank you for coming on my show for the first episode. We're going to wrap it up off here. Uh, I appreciate you coming on my show again, talking about our favorite teams, your your favorite teams as well. With big news going on. And I appreciate you coming on today to give your thoughts, good thoughts, bad thoughts, ugly thoughts, angry thoughts, all thoughts in our wonderful minds during this tough time where we're reopening outdoor dining, sports will be coming up in a couple of weeks, and we'll have more on that in the coming future. But Peter, I thank you again. And if you want to have some closing statements, I'll give you the floor to give you some well-deserved gratitude. Thank you again, Campbell, for letting me be on. I appreciate everything. I hope the listeners will enjoy hearing all this talk about sports. And as we really want sports to come back and are waiting, of course, for the Stanley Cup to be risen at some point by some team and awarded to. Uh, Again, I can't wait for your next uh, next podcast it's going to be great and I look forward to the next one and when uh, we can talk again thank you ladies and gentlemen my name is Kevin Diamond that was Peter Fivefoot this is the Sports Talk Podcast good evening good night good morning whatever have a safe weekend go outside do something fun Listen to some old sports videos or sports games. Listen to some of your favorite calls, commentators, whatnot, interviewers. Get up in the morning, listen to Sports Center or FS1. Do something. Please have fun. Thank you again. This is the Sports Talk Podcast. I'm Camel Diamond. And remember, everybody, sports, it's a beacon of light and it's a beacon of hope. Thank you again.